Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. By Riverside. Welcome back to episode 81 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati, as well as our producer, Phoebe. This is the episode they've been waiting for. I know Dan is super excited, so I'm going to give him an opportunity to introduce our guest and good friend of the pod and let him kick off this conversation. Yeah, honored. We're honored tonight to be uh, joined. We got him, everybody. We got our guy. It's a long time coming. Um, father of two, uh, associate head coach, recruiting coordinator, hitting coach, Matt Trait of Goldie Beacom College, and more importantly, dear, dear friend of mine. What's up, man? Thanks for coming on. We appreciate you uh, being willing to sit down with us. Yeah, of course. Happy to be on. And dear friend of yours, what about Powers? Dear friend... Well, I'm not going to speak for Trevor. I don't want to speak for Trevor. Come on. Don't single him out. I try not to speak for Trevor on here too much because things can get dicey when you start doing that. (laughs) Well, episode 81, Randy Moss edition. Yeah, that's big. We're getting close to the century, but I was thinking about just making you wait nineteen more ep- or yeah, nineteen more episodes till till a hundred. Well, if we unveiling you on, if we'd have finished it off and ended up in Carrie, we probably would have been at episode a hundred. But you know, I mean, I get it, it was going to be sixty one, and then we made that run, so I pushed it off twenty. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been awesome because we could have gotten a sit down maybe with the whole staff. I, that would have been uh, interesting. I know I was pushing for that live breakdown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we would have gotten. We would have been there live and in person to uh, to record in the stands. But um, you're also congratulations to Goldie Beacom, the first school that's had multiple representatives on the show. Um, they're now tied with everyone's favorite baseball publication, Baseball America. 
for uh, most representatives on the show. We, you know, that's kind of important too. That's big. That's a that's a homer pick, and I'm I'm happy to be lumped in with Baseball America. <laughs> that is bad. That is yeah, I know um, that's really good company. <laughs> um, I, I would like to get into a lot tonight. I know Trevor would as well. Um, I'll let you two. I'm excited to hear you two get into the hitting stuff. But um, personally, as someone who's just kind of worked with you for such a, you know, we worked together for four years and obviously we, we became fast friends um, back before I even was on staff. I was an intern um, with the program and, and I felt like we were, we had a connection from that point on, but I also felt like in those four years, there was a lot of development from you personally and your outlook kind of on, you know, just from the way we would talk about now, not only the game, but, you know, being a college baseball coach from the beginning to where you're at now, what are kind of some of the things that, that, have shaped your perspective and kind of changed where you were at from maybe even back when you were coaching junior college to where you're at now? Uh, oh man, that's loaded. Uh, I think there's just so much. <laughs> I think uh, when, when I look at the growth of myself as a, as a college coach or, you know, more importantly, the growth of myself as a person, there's so many steps along the way that I, I can point to that has changed my outlook on various things, whether it's like getting married to my wife or, having my first kid or having my second kid, um, just overall experiences with players, getting to experience the college game um, and even the high school game at, at many different levels, junior college, playing a little bit of division three ball, now coaching division two, um, coaching at division one, all those steps along the way have kind of helped mold, you know, how I see the game. And I think that evolves year to year. It's funny because when I knew I was coming on the pod today, when I was walking at work, I was thinking just how much this year itself has molded who I am as a coach and who I am as a person and how much this year has changed the way I view my relationship with our guys or like how I attack practice on a daily basis, um, how I talk with our guys on a daily basis some of the things that maybe i took for granted before that i don't so much now like going fishing with some of our guys on an off day you know and i think some of that has to do with like this is the first year i've had my son in the dugout um so that was that was a really cool experience um, to see him interact with them and to see you know those guys interact with my son so i don't think that there's been one thing that i can pinpoint that's been like hey this has completely changed the the trajectory of my career whatever that may be or or how I view things I just think it's kind of taking everything in stride and trying to learn from each individual situation and each person I've come across and that's kind of helped the ever-evolving uh way that I see things if that makes sense no yeah and, and me and Trevor talk about it all the time on here whenever we get into talking about our experiences coaching about how, you know, everybody sees the wins and losses and, you know, everybody cares because you're competing and you're competitive. But at the end of the day, like when you really sit back and look on it, like the wins and losses are secondary to all the other stuff. And I'll never forget one of the things that you kind of taught me, this was my favorite day that I think I ever had coaching. We were at Bloomfield and uh, it was BP and I didn't, I was like super prepped that day. Like game plans were set pitchers knew what they needed to do and it was BP and I had nothing to do. And I went to you and I was like, this is weird. I don't have anything to do. Like I got, and you told me you were like, go talk to the position players. Cause you know, that's not a group that I got to, you know, obviously I had some sort of relationship with them, but I never really got that much of an opportunity, you know, cause you have, you know, you wear a million hats when you're coaching. 
Um, I never had the opportunity to really go around and, and talk to guys on that level that were the position players that I wasn't with at practice, you know, spending all of my time like I was with the pitchers. And that kind of really, that made that year special, just getting to know those guys. So I guess my question here, um, this is a really long wind up for you, but like what, how do you kind of, how do you know when to take those moments and those opportunities to say, Hey, okay, I'm, I'm coaching you. Like, this is a swing change we need to make. Let's talk mechanics. And like, uh, this is, I'm your therapist and I'm someone who's trying to get to know you and we need to build that relationship. Kind of where does that start and how do you pick and choose those spots? I think it's different with each player and that's kind of a cop-out answer. I think understanding the player's background and the history definitely changes things. Um, it's easier to have those conversations right from jump with say a freshman that you spent two years, a year and a half recruiting. Cause you already have that foundational relationship. Um, you know, I think that when you get a four year transfer or a junior college transfer, which we've been fortunate to get a, a good bit of recently, you know, I like to try to wait a couple weeks in the fall um, to learn about the player and learn how they kind of see the game itself, learn how they see their game. Um, Cause I think it's really important to build that before you go in and say, Hey, like, I know I've seen you hit two times and you're, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. But like, I just watched you hit twice. Like you need to change X, Y, and Z. And it's like, if I'm a player, like you got to kind of put yourself in the player's shoes. And I think that a lot of people, forget what it's like to be a player because we do get so caught up in the in the results and the wins and the losses and, and this that all the numbers like that matter to help you win and they forget what it's like to be that but like if somebody did that or when they did that to me when I was a player I'm like like I'm gonna listen to you because you're my coach but cool buddy like I, I don't even really know you I just got here like you right. either you either recruited me or I just showed up here because I wanted to play here and you're telling me that I need to make all these changes, but you're not really explaining to me why, and you're not really asking any questions. You're just coming to me with hard facts and saying like, Hey, change this because instead of like, Hey, what do you, you know, what are you thinking about when you're making this move? Or what are you looking at when you're trying to trying to adjust your timing or like any of those broad questions that you can ask a player to kind of peel back the layers. And I think that when you do peel back those layers, that's when you can start to figure out what makes guys tick and see things kind of through their lens. And then you can start to, to make those types of changes. So I do think it's individualized, but I also think that it's individualized based off of their background. Um, just because there's so many different ways to go about it. Now, I'm not, I don't know that my way is the right way. I, you know, I, I think that, I think that there's guys that need that second day. Like, Hey, you need to tell me, like, I'm sure we have players in our program that wish that I would give them more, but I also don't want to, I'm not, I've never been one to just cue salad people. Right. You know? Um, so I hope that answered the question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, it definitely did. And, and I always say it as coaches want to coach, right? Like right away you think, Oh, I got this job. I'm the hitting coach. I need to, help guys hit. Right. And I always thought that, you know, you have to lay the foundation of months of relationship building, depending on the individual. I mean, some guys, it's just one conversation in the office, like you just connect and you something clicks and you guys are on the same page. 
some guys, even after a full season, you sit there and you're like, I feel like I never got to that level where like he trusted me. And that was one of my biggest, I don't want to say issues per se, but you know, in a short amount of time that I was at each stop as a coach that I felt like if you, if I had year two, it would be that next step. How great has it been to be at one place for as long as you've been and get guys back that you have that such a well-built-up relationship and you're able to step in in day one of the fall, see something, and just right away be able to react and help that guy through maybe some struggles a lot quicker? Oh, man, it is huge. I mean, maybe go back to that first question. What's been the turning point in my coaching career? (laughs) That being somewhere that I'm comfortable um, that I've been for seven years and, you know, they know the guys know that like, I'm coming from a good place and it's like, okay, this guy's been here. He's not just looking to try to, you know, progress his career or he's not looking for the next best thing. Like he's fully invested in this program. He's fully invested in the people in this program. And there's older guys that I've now coached that have been with me for so many years that, the younger guys can lean on, you know, so maybe like I'm not, cause I do think there's a ton of power in just standing back and observing, you know, like coaching looks so many different ways. Um, you know, going right in and saying something in the moment, I, I think is coaching. I think standing back and observing and not saying anything for a while is coaching. And I think for, for freshmen, you know, or transfers that want to come in and be coached right away, I do think it's really hard to sit to sit there and be like, okay, well, does this guy not like me? He's not really giving me anything. He's not, you know, he's not really asking me much except for, you know, were you, were you on time? Did you swing at a good pitch? Like that's all he's really asking me. I've been here for two weeks and he's not like trying to make a swing change or anything, but then they can go to somebody that I've worked with for four years and just be like, Hey, like he likes you. You're here for a reason you just have to go have a conversation with him. He's not going to go knocking down your door telling you you need to do X, Y, and Z. So I do think that that, I mean, that's been huge. Uh, You know, and I think that having guys, having a consistency in the program, guys stay for a while has been a a big part of it. Um, And I just look like, I mean, a guy that we had this year, Johnny, um, in his second year in the program and the jump that he was able to make. And, you know, Johnny is such a good kid. He's going to tell you, he's going to give us a lot of credit and thanks Johnny. But like all the credit goes to him. I mean, seriously, all the credit goes to him, but like, honestly, where I was able to help him most is I was able to watch him for a year and then give him what he needed, which was good conversation, positive reinforcement, and a little change in his setup to slow him down because he's so athletic and so fast. He didn't need to change his swing. He didn't need to change, you know, anything with that tool. Kid oozes tools. He just needed to change his mindset a little bit. And all he needed to do with that was to slow his heartbeat. And it wasn't really anything different that I told him this year that I told him last year. He just had another year. He was mature. He was comfortable, you know, and he took off and put together one of the most impressive seasons that I've ever seen firsthand. I mean, a catcher stole 47 bags. It was like (laughs) six in the country and everybody around him was either listed as shortstop or, or outfielder. 
So I do think that that, yeah, was, that plays a big role in it and in, in being somewhere for seven, for seven years. And I think it's hard to make an impact when you're there a shorter time. And I don't know that that's any fault of any coach that's there for a little bit and bounces out for whether they get removed from the program or they progress their career, you know, cause it, it has to fit for everybody, right? It can't be the same for everybody. But I also think from a player's perspective, perspective that makes it tough when, when there's like so much turnover, we've talked about that before, like in some programs we know where it's like, that's just kind of how the program's laid out where it's like, you have a guy for two years and then that position rolls over because it's just a two year position. Cause unfortunately, like that's a lot, a lot of programs in the country, you guys know, division two, II, division three, Juco, like, there's not mu- there's not much money in it, so you do have a lot of turnover. So I think that makes it hard. Well, I, I yeah, exactly. I think just being the the value of of the comfortability for you as well with the player, right? Like that player gets more comfortable with you going into year two, three, four. You get more comfortable with that player, and then there's almost that unspoken bond that you can create. Where you know, like you're saying, like with a guy, like even you know say Kyle Walker, who's in his fifth year, it's like, you don't need to say anything to Kyle. Kyle doesn't even need to say anything to you. You kind of know where each other's at and just how much more helpful that can be. And then I, you have to keep your coaching style. You is kind of what I started to figure out. Like you can't try and be something that you're not right. And and I, I guess if you, you know, even when kids need, you know, some kids, you know, need someone to scream down their neck. And if that's not you, it's hard to kind of be that coach. How long did it take you to kind of figure out that lesson of like, okay, well, I'm just who I am and I'm going to coach them the way that I think is best. And that's all I can do, even if that might not fit for every kid, because I feel like a lot of times as coaches, and I feel like I can speak for this for you is you want to coach every, like you want to be able to help everyone. You wouldn't bring a player into the program to not hopefully try and develop them but sometimes it just doesn't work out. So at what point did you start to kind of come to the realization of like, okay, that's just the way it is. And I got to be who I am as a coach. Yeah. I mean, I think you always want to be true to yourself, right? I mean, because people in baseball or people in any workplace kind of see through that. If you're not, if you're trying to give people something that you're not, you got to be genuine because you really can't keep that. uh, You can't keep that that up if you're not being true to yourself all of a sudden and it's like you're constantly in scramble mode um you know and i think that to do that my time through the coaching ranks has helped mold what i want to be right it's a lot like um you know like anything you talk about baseball wise for the most part nothing is revolutionary you know, it's all, it's all pretty much stolen. I mean, there's some things that probably are, I don't want to knock anybody that has a revolutionary idea because, but like everybody takes something from somebody else and puts their own spin on it and you make it yours. Right. And I think that's what I've done. I would like to think that I've done a pretty good job of throughout my coaching career where I've had an opportunity and playing career where I've had an opportunity to play for some really great baseball minds and coach with, and against some really great baseball minds. And I've been able to take what I think, what I see best works and put my own spin on it. And then I think that being somewhere that I'm completely comfortable where I'm not ever looking over my shoulder because I know that my boss, I have his full trust. I mean, a guy that I didn't even know, you know, who he was, 
um, when I came to sit in for the job, who's become, you know, probably my, my best friend, one of my best friends in the last, uh, you know, seven years where it's like that guy completely trusts me. Now that doesn't mean that he's not going to question me because I think that he should, I mean, uh, that's what, that's what we want. That's how we get better. But like to know that I'm going to do something in practice or I'm going to have a conversation with a player and I don't, ha- I'm not looking over my shoulder. Um, you know, I think so being comfortable in that, in the in the environment allows me to be comfortable in who I am as a coach and a person and I think that's kind of where that derives from yeah it's huge and and since you you opened the door for me I just want to real quick you you mentioned kind of the coaching stops that you've been on and you you have a little bit of an interesting journey because you were at Cecil Community College and then you get an opportunity to go out and work at Akron which you're a Delaware guy, you were coaching at Cecil, which wasn't, you know, very far from home. And then you, you're just all of a sudden in Ohio, how did you make that decision? And what were those feelings like when you were uh, making that trek out to Akron, Ohio from, from Cecil County, Maryland, where you had kind of been in the area for most of your life? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, I always knew that I wanted to coach even when I was in college, um, probably, you know, while, why me and Trevor, you know, connected so well when he, when he made the jump, but like, as a player, I, I was, I was fine as like, I wasn't setting the world on fire as a player, but I knew when I was done playing that I really wanted to coach, um, you know, and that's kind of why I got into education. So I could eventually coach. And I, uh, I was coaching a high school doing, you know, doing my student teaching, whatever. And I was like, you know, this, I thought this is what I was going to want to do forever. Teach at a high school and coach at a high school. I thought that was like, I thought that was going to be it. And I'm like, this ain't it. Like, you know, you got a bunch of kids on the team that some want to be, some want to play because they want to play at the next level. Some just play because they're good at it. A couple kids play because it's what they've done their whole life. And then a couple kids play because like their parents are making them do something. Um, you know, and I was like, I love it too much. Like I love the game too much. I, I owe, I owe a little bit more to the game. So I, uh, I, I called our, uh, my, my Juco coach, um, Charlie O'Brien, one of the best people I've ever met in baseball. And, uh, in true Charlie O form, I'm like, Hey, you know, like I want to get into college baseball. Like, how'd you do it? How did you start your career? And he said, trader, we start practice on Tuesday. I'll see you then. So I just, I showed up at Cecil in the fall, um, and was coaching there and, you know, I was on, uh, plug ABCA here a little bit. I was on ABCA, uh, on the job postings. And I saw at the end of the, at the end of the fall that Akron had an opening. They actually had a, uh, their volunteer position opened up. The guy that was there before me, uh, drew sailor who last I saw was a minor league hitting coordinator, I think with the Royals, Dan, you can fact check me. He was with the pirates when he left, when he left uh, Akron, he, he took a minor league coaching job at the Rockies, but he's moved his way up the ranks. Um, so I, I went out to Akron on a whim. I drove out there eight hours out working interview um, through BP, met the team. It was down to me and another guy. Uh, that other guy had, had a wife and kids um, and was from like the Buffalo area. They just didn't see, see it working out for the demands of the job. Um, so I ended up, I ended up getting the job. Um, so I was 26 years old coaching division one college baseball played D three ball. And I'm like, I could just, I remember when I got the job, 
I wasn't even thinking about it being eight hours away or how this was going to change my life. I was just like, man, like I always hoped one day I would coach division one baseball. And here I am at 26, like I'm coaching D one baseball. This is pretty sick. Um, so I go out there, I'm out there in the spring and it was, there was, there was highs and lows and there were some of the best days of my coaching career. And I met some of the best people out there. And then I had some of the lowest lows from just like eye opening experiences. Um, you know, not to, I don't want to dive into the, into the, into the dirty, <laughs> um, you guys know off air, but I, it was a really good experience for me because I learned so much about myself you know, and about who I was as a person and what I wanted to be like. And I, I got, I got to work with some great people out there. Matt Ford um, was our pitching coach out there. And Forty is a uh, minor league pitching coach with the pirates. He lives in Florida. Um, he was the rehab coordinator for a while. Uh, Rick Remblack, who helped turn Kent state into a powerhouse and then was at wake forest and was left wake. And, and uh, I learned a lot from him. When he left Wake, um, he hooked on at Georgia Tech and was the volley for a year. So he went from head coach at Kent, head coach at Wake, to the volley at, at Georgia Tech, um, and then got the head job at Akron. And I can remember a conversation I had with him, and I was like, you know, Rem, like, why, you know, why did you, why did you do it to, you know, go to go to Georgia Tech after that? Like, you know, like I know Georgia Tech's really good, and he's like, you know, when you're in it, he said it's a lot easier to stay in it when you're in it he's like so i like i can remember him telling me stock shelves at night his, his wife a couple kids they were still living in winston winston salem and he was just making ends meet mm. to stay in the college game and then he got the job at akron um you know i was only out there for a year with him but i learned so much from him like a great baseball guy his son maddie was a was our shortstop and now he's uh he's a paid assistant at bowling green well, unfortunately when I, two years after i left akron um they pulled the rug out on the program. Um, and I think the last I talked to Rem, he's an AD at, uh, at a local high school in Ohio. Um, cause he was from Ohio. So, um, you know, so I learned like the business side of it too, while I was out there where it's like, you know, he, the program was in the dumps when we got there and within three years he had taken them and played for the Mac championship. Um, he was in the Mac tournament twice and then they pulled the rug out from under him. Um, and then, you know, that kind of led me back, it kind of led me back home, uh, coached at Cecil again for another year. And then, you know, I was like, all right, well, I guess, you know, there's not really money in college baseball at this point. I think I was 28. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta really focus and hammer down and get a job. So I landed a teaching job. I was coaching high school and then the, the position at, uh, at Goldie opened up and, and I was fortunate enough to, to kind of land there. And I've been there ever since outside of outside of two weeks <laughs> so just for our listeners hold on just for our listeners those two weeks matt was talking about is the the winter of of 2000 or i guess it was the winter of 2019 the new year had just turned matt was hired by the baltimore orioles and um left for two weeks but then came back thankfully for me because i was not ready to take over his position in the program i had 23 years old i had one of those magic eight balls i knew covid was coming and i was like you know what <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not interested in taking this job and then getting furloughed. So I said, I came back. It turned out to be the right decision. No, Sorry, go ahead, no it a hundred percent was the right decision. And I love, well, that's, I love I the mean, Orioles and what they're doing right now. I completely yeah. saw it come. I mean, I told you that after I interviewed there and I took the job, yeah. I'm like, ain't going to be long. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's what I I, I kind of wanted to go into those two weeks specifically, and just like you know, because as a young guy and who spent time in the game, you tell me I was 26 years old and and not sitting in Lillington, North Carolina, with my fiance in medical school, and I was coaching Division One baseball. I was thinking I was on the hot track. Right. And and you're sitting there probably that day and you're like, man, this is going to be my future. This is going to be my my gig. And and I mean, in, intellectually, as somebody who follows the game across the country, yeah, you're up there with all of them. There's a reason the Orioles hired you. You know, what was that? What did that teach you about the value of the position you're in and the value of what's important outside of baseball? Because you do get to that point and you have to reflect and say, I can either make sacrifices and and pursue the dream as a, you know, professional hitting coach, what we all dream to do when we when we step foot in the coaching world, but also having to reflect and, and understand what's truly the best situation for you and yours. Yeah, man, that's that's a good question. And is I'm only going to speak on how I view it personally because this isn't to knock anybody that um, pursues that. I, I think I think that's great. This is and this isn't to knock anybody that pursues um, you know coaching at the Division One ranks because I think there's great quality of life in that too. I think the mm-hmm. the position at Akron and the going through the hiring process with the Orioles um, and, you know, accepting that position and then ultimately turning it down, um, you know, were two moments that I learned a lot about myself. I think you start to look at things a little bit differently um, when you have kids. So when I was, when I was at Akron, I was single, Um, wasn't with my now wife at the time. Um, I met her when, when I came back from Akron. So that changed things. And then the Orioles thing, we were married and had just had my son who was six months at the time, who's now four going on five. Um, and my wife, bless her heart, was completely supportive and was willing to do anything to to help make this dream become a reality. Um, but when you go away and you start to really like dissect things, I start to I started to think like what what is most important in my life for me personally? Um, you know, and I always wanted to, I really always wanted to be a dad. Um, you know, I was fortunate to play at Wesley under Trip Keister who, um, who got to race his son, uh, Kevin in our program, who Kevin now plays for university of Maryland and is having a heck of a year. Um, you know, I got to see the impact that, that Kevin got to have on all of us and that, uh, we got to have on Kevin as he grew up. So that was something I always wanted for my son. And I felt like at the pro ball ranks, I wasn't going to be able to have that. Um, you know, I also, I really, I want to develop guys while I also want to really win. And I do think there's an emphasis on that at the pro level, definitely developing guys. And I think in the Orioles organization, I think there's an emphasis on winning even at the lower levels. Um, but the relationship piece and knowing those guys, um, for multiple years on end, I think was important to me. The more that I started to dive into it and what it was really going to look like, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, a guy that we know that I'm, that we're all really good friends with Marshall Altry that I had the opportunity to recruit for two years, coach for four. Um, and he just finished up his fifth year, um, playing. And it's like, so I've known that I've known that guy for, for seven years now. It's like, you know, I'll probably be invited to his wedding and like I've made, he's made an impact on my life. I made such an impact on his. So when I started to factor all that stuff in, 
I realized what I knew what the answer was for me personally. And I also knew what the reaction was going to be from people around me, whether I cared about their opinion or, or I didn't. Um, I knew they were going to be like, are you kidding me? Like, cause nobody knows you, you just see the onion, but you don't know what's right. under the layer. Mm-hmm. Like you start to peel back, like the money, all that stuff, all the things that come with it. Yep. Um, so I didn't really care what, people kind of thought about me um you know i was just going to do what was best for me um so that like that was a that was definitely an interesting time um and then because i got plucked and i had had these experiences where it's like okay like i've seen division one now i got i I got to be in pro ball for uh, a salmon lunch. I wouldn't even say a cup of coffee. I had a nice, sam- <laughs> nice salmon lunch. It was, it was delicious. It was like hard to eat while you're talking to, while you're talking to those guys. But, uh, um, like Elias and Sig, two great, two, like I talk about great baseball minds and guys that like haven't figured out and, and do things the right way. Um, but getting to sit in those rooms and be around those people, I guess kind of, as dumb as it might sound brought a little bit of validation maybe like to like, Hey, like I do, I, I do belong. I am doing right. Like it doesn't matter. Uh-huh. The bells and whistles so much don't matter as much as like the impact that I can make on the game with whatever level that I'm at. You know, I know that I know that I still have a lot to learn, but I know that I'm on the right track because I'm in these conversations and I'm in these rooms with people. So to me, that's exciting because I'm like, Oh, okay. So like I can have all this, but then still be seen in this light and like, and have these conversations Mm -hmm. and be in these rooms. And to me, like getting that opportunity, um, you know, was, was really big just because I think it created a little bit of validation. I don't know that I needed it, but like, it was definitely not, you know, it was definitely nice. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, for me, like, even though like you, you're not in it for that. Right. And and if you're in it for the right reasons, and I certainly think you are like, you, you, you don't seek that validation, but you know, there is a, a personal side of you that, that does want that validation. Like I am doing a good job because sometimes as a coach, it's hard to quantify, especially when you're looking for things outside of just wins and losses. Like to know that like, okay, I'm doing a good job at this. Like I am, what I'm thinking is right and I'm going on it. So I can definitely see where, you know, getting that validation feels pretty good and then makes you more comfortable in the role you're in, even when you come back. Cause it's like, okay, I know I'm on the right path. These guys who clearly know what they're doing, were willing to give me an opportunity. Um, it just didn't work out for whatever reason. And, and now I can, you know, continue to move forward confidently. And I, your impact, I think what's funny is when I started at Goldie Beacom, uh, to me, I always knew you were validated because when I, you know, I started there in the summer. So the first thing I did with the program was go out and recruit and every place I went, everybody asked me where you were <laughs> and how you were doing. And so I was like, well, this guy must be pretty good because he's pretty well known. And, and I guess kind of talk about, because that's what I think to me is special about the baseball community and, and especially the college baseball community is that you do build a bond with, you know, so many people. Um, just from being out on the road recruiting and playing, whether it's coaching against them or being out on the road recruiting with them or coaching with them. And like that impact, you know, how much does that mean to you as, as someone who enjoys building those relationships and is in it to build those relationships? The fact that the baseball community can be so small and so special at the same time. 
Yeah. Well, first you hit a great point because I think that that, that moment with the, the whole hiring process did teach me that I was in it for the right reasons. The decision I made, right. like kind of proved to myself that I was in it for the right reasons. And then you, uh, you need to fact check yourself a little bit because the first thing you did as an intern with Goldie Beacom is help run kitty camp, which I think we, we killed, we killed <laughs> off. We killed off after that summer. Thankfully, uh, there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of cold brew, uh, coffees and skip having me off the road. Um, to run kitty I, knew, I, I think I think it died that year and I I, I appreciate you for that <laughs> I wasn't cut out to be a babysitter is what I learned yeah. it was the first thing I learned as a college baseball coach is I'm not a good babysitter <laughs> that's that's very true um, but yeah I mean from a community standpoint sorry I went off on a tangent so what that means to be part of a baseball community that was the question right yeah and just that close yeah. environment and what that's like um yeah I think I think why I do a decent job of that when I'm out recruiting is because I am very genuine because I'm not, when I do talk to people on the road um, and I have conversations, I'm not doing it to find my next job. Like I'm overly happy where my feet are. It would take something insane for me to leave. Um, you know, so I think that when I'm out and I have conversations with people, I'm not looking to progress my career or do anything like it's completely genuine. A lot of times I'm trying to learn something from somebody, you know, because everybody sees things a little bit different. And I like to try to steal as much as I possibly can and, and make it my own and and learn from people. Um, and the other part of it, too. Um, you know, hopefully none of the, none of the people that we recruit against are watching this. Like I, I have a pretty good ability to talk about anything under the sun and be completely locked into a game. And like, I'm just not a note guy. So it's kind of, a not really trying to throw people off their game. Cause I do, cause it does, those days get long. Those days, long. those days get so long. So for me, it's a way to, it's a, it's a way to pass the time, but I also do find that like, it helps me stay engaged and stay locked in where some people are note, note guys. Um, like Ross is like one of the biggest note guys I've ever met. And he's like awesome to talk to, but I know I can't talk to him at a recruiting event because he's dial the way he dials himself in is taking notes. Um, but so I do think that that's helped me, uh, you know, become a little bit more respected for whatever that's worth uh, on the recruiting trail. And I have met, met a ton of good people um, in the baseball ranks up and down, you know, all the levels. And I think that I do a pretty good job of value of taking people at face value and, and saying like, this guy's a college baseball coach and not, um, not worried about the logo on the hat or, you know, the level that somebody's at, because I don't know how much that matters because some of the best people in, some some of the best people in baseball I've ever met have been in the high school or junior college ranks. And some of the worst people have been in the division one ranks and you can invert that and flip that any way you want. So I just try to surround myself with good people. And I think it's the same thing that I do when I'm recruiting, you know, when you're talking about like good players um, you know, we've said a lot this year and over the last couple of years, like you, you win with good people um, you know, so I want to, I want to be sitting around good people and, and learning from good people 
whether they're people in your conference or people that you compete against in recruiting or, you know, people that you lost guys out to in recruiting. I don't think that matters as much as like, you just want to surround yourself with good people um, and people that bring something intelligent to the conversation and sometimes bring nothing intelligent to the conversation and can just shoot the breeze and like, just like clown around with. Cause I think that that's important. That's important too. And that is bringing something to the conversation. Um, so I think that that's, that's why I've been able to kind of engulf myself in the community that the baseball community that's kind of in the Northeast and, and, uh, you know, that, and another key part of that, um, that, you know, doesn't go unnoticed by you guys, but I take a lot of pride in is that, you know, we've been really fortunate in having really good people in our program help out, including you two. And, you know, we have a guy, Kevin Allen now that I think is going to be with us one more year and then he's going to move on. David Alvarez, you know, we've Andy Salzman, like we've had good people in the program that we've been able to help move on to different programs and kind of progress their coaching career because it looks different for everybody. And I kind of take pride in that. So I think, you know, being, uh, being good in the baseball community, not only is, is fulfilling for me and helps me, you know, grow as a coach, but I also think it grows our program, which when you're starting a program from scratch, I think is super important. Um, and then it also helps grow our coaching staff's careers, which I take a lot of pride in, um, because like I, I'll probably be a Goldie until I'm ready to shut it down. And I'm like, I don't mean that as a bad thing. If Skip's there, like, I think that's awesome. Um, you know, that's the only guy I really want to work for. Uh, but the other guys, like, you know, the Kevin Allen, you know, powers, like I take a lot of pride in the fact that you were able to move on to Arcadia and get a full-time job. Like, I think that's huge. Like, so, you know, I think that that, that helps and I can hang my hat on that. I do like that side of it. Yeah, that's, we'll, we'll kind of go into not, not getting into, you don't have to give Dan and I love, but I think one of the things that's most impressive about as somebody who was only with Bodie Beacom for two years, but obviously views it in such a high light is just that side of things of like, everybody who's come through that program is a certain type of way and it's in a good way, right? You know, all the programs out there that everybody who steps foot or wears that color, like they're not really, they kind of act a certain way. They handle themselves a certain way and it just makes it that much easier to be a part of. It makes it that much easier to root for on the other side. It makes it so much easier to, to work for those types of people, to work with those types of people and all of those things that are all encompassing. And obviously you mentioned starting a program from scratch at Arcadia. We called them our kind of guys. We backed off of kids that were really talented because we didn't think they fit our culture. And we won with less talent because of our culture, because of the 45th man pulling on the same side of the rope. So in year seven, as you break down what you guys have become, and obviously coming off of hosting a regional, you know, what's the thing that has kind of led to that success, obviously with, with the culture side of things, but just all encompassing of how have you come in seven years to be what the program is that right now looks like it really no time to slow it down. Yeah, I mean, it's a great time to be a Bolt, that's for sure. I mean, the school the school continues to grow. The baseball program continues to grow. You talk about people pulling on the rope in the right direction. You know, I think, um, not again, not to slate anybody that we've had before. I 
but like the president at our school right now, um, you know, our athletic director, our assistant AD, everybody's pulling on the rope in the same direction. I mean, everybody was there at the regional, everybody's ready to rock. Um, you know, the guys on the team, uh, the support staff, everybody's kind of all in. And, uh, and I think, you know, I think people were in the beginning. I just think it's hard to get your kind of guys in when you're starting from scratch, when you have zero history. I mean, you're talking about like try to convince a junior college kid or a four-year transfer to come to a school that it's like, okay, well, I promise you we're going to win and, you know, we're going to do these things, but we haven't yet and because we didn't have a history. Um, so, you know, I think it's been, um, you know, it's been a program as a whole. Those guys in the beginning were super important to lay the foundation um, and the guys that we have now have been super important to continue to grow the program. Um, but I think the constant has been the leadership at the top. I think that there's merit in having continuity in the coaching staff. When you talk about all of us that have been together for so many years, I think that's super important. Um, you know, and I, I do think that culture does win. I know it's, it's cliche, but you know, it's like we had that second year, we made the conference tournament. And that third year, we took some questionable guys that were super talented. That might've been one of the most talented teams that we had. And we fell flat on our face and we kind of looked around the room to a man and we were like, never again, you know, cause you can get, you can bring in good guys that have talent that are going to work hard and at the end of the day, you're going to be on the on the better end of it than if you have super talented guys that are in it for themselves that aren't really willing to roll up their sleeves and get to work. Um, you know, and, and listen, any program in the country, you can get away with one, maybe two of those guys. You know, maybe a position guy and then maybe a pitcher in a, in a group. But the problem is, you know, and I teach high school, so I get to see this. Like you, you have more times than not, people want to do the right thing, right? People want to be good people. People want to go about their business the right way, but you're always going to have some people that are on the fence. And if you have too many people that are on the other side of that fence, it's a lot easier to pull those guys on the top of the fence over to that bad side. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that, I mean, you just, there's a lot to unpack from what you just said, but it, it is kind of cliche to say that culture wins. But I think what people fail to realize is like it's true in the sense that when you talk about, especially college baseball, you're talking about, you know, 40, 18 to 22 year olds who all because they're good enough athletes to play at the college level, there is a little bit of ego involved because typically almost every guy that comes in as a freshman has spent their entire high school career on the playing field. For the majority of their high school career, they've been playing. And so then they have to come in a lot of times, like it doesn't work out that way. Like not right away, at least for the majority of people, you have to bide your time and you have to work and, and everyone, obviously the level goes up. So everyone's talented and it's a lot easier for guys who are good people and are in it for the right reasons and are good teammates to kind of make that adjustment. And I also think that, you know, when you have a group and you have leaders like that are good people it rubs off, right? Like that's another cliche is that you take on the personality of the coaching staff. But I think that's so true in the fence. And, you know, if, if you have a calm leader who does things the right way and goes about it the right way, 
maybe likes to have a lot of fun, like your head coach, yeah. then, then, you know, the rest of the team's going to follow suit and you have to have guys that fit that. And I kind of want to take this into recruiting a little bit since, you know, you're, you're constantly recruiting, you work very hard at it. What in this landscape with the way things are for people who have the opportunity, obviously to get the one time transfer exception and they're able to, to go in and out. How has that kind of shaped the way I kind of know, but for our listeners, the way that, that you guys have gone about um, recruiting, is it even more, are you doubling down on let's get our guys and let's not, you know, let's not just shoot for the most talented guy because you know that, Hey, if we get the most talented guy, if he's not happy, he's gone and we got to replace him anyway. Yeah, I think it makes it tough. I think that, you know, you talk about bringing your kind of guys, it makes it really hard to do in the transfer portal, right? Because it's, I mean, you go on there today and if you're not refreshing the page every 30 seconds, you're you're a page or two behind. Um, so it takes time to recruit and it you have to really roll up your sleeves and get to know these guys that you're bringing in, um, you know, and and that makes it tough because everybody's in a different timeline, right? Like these guys are getting their, their phones blown up left and right as soon as they hit the portal. And sometimes it's probably already a done deal on where they're going. Um, you know, but that, that definitely makes it hard. And that's why I think that having a good, at least for us, having a good foundation of freshmen has been huge, but what has changed and you, you guys, I mean, Trevor, you experienced this firsthand because you're, you're one of them. Um, but what has really kind of propelled our program from a culture standpoint to where it is now is we've hit on the transfers that we've brought in and they have really embodied what it means to be a bolt. And what I mean by that, like you have to be in it every day to kind of fully grasp it, but we've been really fortunate to get guys that haven't had great experiences where they were and that are super talented, but didn't have good experiences where they were for whatever reason, whether didn't get along with the coach, didn't like the area, didn't play, didn't perform the way they wanted to, didn't feel like they were getting developed, whatever it may be, could be anything under the sun. But then those guys come in and they have life perspective where you talk about a freshman that all he's ever done is played. He played four years in high school and he was, he hit three hole in his travel team. He did this and he did that. I do think there's merit in, in in taking some chances on guys, maybe not as much on character issues, but just giving somebody a second chance. And that's one thing that Skip's really taught me. And we've been really fortunate with, with some of the best people we've ever had in our program have been guys that have made such a lasting impact on our program and my life. And I've only been able to coach them for a year or two. You know, so I think that it is a good mix. You have to figure out what, what fuels your program's gas tank. Um, you know, and for us, I think it's always going to be freshmen develop, but to sprinkle in the right junior college guys, the right four-year transfers like a, a Trevor Powers or a Troy Thomas, um, you know, Bailey spent, and I'm not even talking about like, like Johnny campus who arguably could have been the conference player of the year this year. Like everywhere in between, but like some of those guys, like Marlon Lindsay, the slow heartbeat, a guy that's been to, you know, went to a junior college, committed to a four year out of high school, went to a junior college, went to another four year and then transferred back. Like those guys that have perspective, that means something. And I think I see a lot of myself in those guys 
because it comes back to that original question about my coaching career. Like, I think the more perspective you can have, the more well-rounded you're going to be. Um, and that's where I think that some of these programs, and I don't know because I don't coach there, but I would think that some of these programs that are just like Transfer City, um, whether it's four-year or JUCOs, that they do fall a little bit flat on their face because I think there's got to be a good mix, right? Because like you need some of those older guys that need that second chance or that third chance or, or that fourth chance, you know, to come into your program and, and be okay being loved and know that they're there for the right reasons. And then they can, man, like this, this is a place, you know, like, you know, I keep going back to Johnny, but Johnny always says like he was a bolt before he even knew it. And it's like a guy that went to a, went to a four year and didn't have a great experience, um, you know, and then comes in and it's like, this was the best decision he's ever made. And I think that that message is, is pretty constant across the board with, with the, with the, the JUCO or the four-year transfers that we've had. And I think the message is pretty constant with the, uh, with the freshmen that we've brought in and have stayed four years. I mean, we've had, we haven't lost many guys, knock on wood. Now we probably will going forward just because that's the nature of the beast, but we haven't really lost that many guys to the portal. I mean, we lost two last year, but there are two guys that graduated from us because of COVID. They got another year. And then, you know, at the regional this year, we had guys that went into early retirement that came back to support the team, whether it's because they just, you know, injuries or, you know, the school thing wasn't for them, not our school, just school in general. And they were still coming back and supporting the program. And it's like, we love those guys just like we love the guys that stuck it out all four years. I think it's our program super unique because we have been there from the beginning. And I think that does help build the culture when it's like, you know, I've seen every player that's come through that program. Like, and to me, that's something super cool. And I, I absolutely love that. Um, you know, and I think that does, that does help. It, you said that you've been there from the beginning and that was like, kind of like I knew it and I like putting it into thoughts and hearing that and knowing that you've actually, you and Skip have seen every player that have come through that program is it makes sense for why you're able to have so much value in each and every one of those guys. And one of the things that I find the most impressive, and I'd love to just hear your opinion on this more than anything, because I have my opinions and, and some programs, I sometimes feel like it's easier to keep a have your winningest teams when you have guys that know their role and understanding it than having the most talent in the world and having guys that in like your scenario that you put in your last answer have hit three hole their whole life have performed at every level have never sat bench and then when game three comes around and they're backing up a good player who goes on an 0 for 9 stretch what are they saying on the end of the dugout like oh when am I going to get my shot he's not playing well and then you start to create that divide and you could have more talent than anybody across the country but once that divide hits baseball is a hard enough game to begin with but having guys in the program and we don't have to say names necessarily but I felt like that was my I can speak from my experience that was my role was like nah like I'm here to be for good vibes for to be supportive of my teammates to be a part of a team to be a part of the culture and bring that element what what has that experience been like in your plenty of years of coaching baseball and how does that you know go into how you're building your team 
I think it starts with the initial message when you recruit kids, whether it's, you know, the freshman or the transfer. Um, and then I think it's being true to that day in and day out. You know, like we always talk about what we ask our guys to do, and it's just compete in everything they do, love their teammates, and have more fun than anybody else in the country. Um, so, you know, I feel like when we do those three things, we're, we're going to be super talented and we're going to take care of business because, like, I think that we – we're going to do a good job of bringing in the right players and trying to develop them. And then that just puts the player at ease. Like, Hey, like this is all you have to do. You don't have to do anything more than that. You know? So I think that those having a consistent message right from the jump, I think is important. Um, modeling that as a coaching staff and then also having the players understand that like more so than any other program I've been a part of, Um, maybe Cecil, Cecil did a good job of this. Um, and it's probably where I got it from. Like we are constantly evaluating and every day is your opportunity and people are going to tell you that. Um, but when you can, when you can have a concrete answer of like, or a concrete example, sorry, of when that's happened. Um, you know, like we had a player in our program that was buried on the depth chart. He was number three catcher. I think this was year two, maybe year two or three, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't really sniffing it, just continued to work and work and work every day, extra reps, like just grinding it out. I mean, doing everything that you would want a guy to do. And then when he gets his out and then he gets an opportunity because he continues to get better and he's hammering balls and BP and it's like, we have to play him. Then he gets an opportunity, plays well, he gets another opportunity, plays well. When guys know that they're going to constantly be evaluated in, in everything they do, and if they're doing things the right way, they're going to get an opportunity. I think that definitely helps the last guy on your bench. You know, just being able to see that um, and and being able to have examples of when that's happened. Because I don't think that's the case in every program. You know, like I think as you go up the ranks, how much you pay a guy matters. You know, whether that guy's struggling or not, like if you have a lot invested in him, that guy's probably going to play. He's going to have a longer, he's going to have a longer leash, right? Just like in pro ball. I mean, it's probably not really much different in pro ball guy that signs guy that gets drafted number one. You guys follow that stuff a lot closer than I do, but a guy that gets drafted, you know, first round is going to have a longer leash than the guy that gets drafted in the 19th. It's going to have a little bit of easier track uh, to the Mm -hmm. bigs. So I think that, I think that that helps, you know, those two things are probably the biggest when you talk about like the end of the bench culture and what that looks like and, and guys pulling on the rope in the same direction because you, and you, and you always have the fence guy or the guy that doesn't really buy in and his answer, like your guys are going to smirk when I tell you this, but his answer is always going to be like, yeah, I mean, like I get it. I'm fine. I'm fine that I'm not playing as long as we're winning. There's always like an, as long as we're winning mm-hmm. or as long as this. And it's like, no, like, dude, I get it, man. Everybody wants to play, but I do think that everybody has a role. It doesn't mean you're going to like your role, but that, that also doesn't mean that mm-hmm. that's going to be your role forever. And I think that, you know, we, we do a really good job of communicating with the guys. And I think the guys, because of that family environment that we've created, that the guys see us as human. And this is where I think like having my kids around the program and skip having his kids around the program definitely helps put the guard down of, of like just seeing me or me going fishing with the guys, just seeing me as coach 
like they can come and talk to me. It doesn't mean they're not, they're always going to like the answer that I give them, but they know they're going to get an honest answer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. People want you to be honest with them. That doesn't always mean they're going to like what you have to say. But if you beat around the bush with stuff, it's not going to go well. No doubt. No doubt. So we're, we're going to be respectful of, of all of our time here on this fine Tuesday evening. So I got one more question that that's kind of always been an intrigue to me, especially as you guys went through this 2023 season and, you know, we're going to kind of get it. It'll probably require a little bit more of a nitty gritty answer, but in 2021, when we were all a part of the same coaching staff, you're looking at an offense that hit 37 home runs in 31 games, 41 stolen bases, nothing too crazy going on on the base pass. And then you turn around in this 2023 season and you're talking about a team that hit 35 home runs in 57 games at the same park, uh, but stole 174 bases in those same 57 games, which was sixth in the nation in both total steals and steals per game. So I always think of it as the true value of a coach is their ability to adapt to their skill set of their, you know, their pieces, right? You don't want to put your guys, you don't want to take a team that can steal 174 bases in a year and try to hit them hit more home runs because that's not what's going to allow you to succeed. So how was that process for you? Cause I know where your roots are dug in with that 2021 <laughs> team. We both sat on those chairs and enjoyed those guys absolutely walloping baseballs on a day-to-day basis. But how impactful was, was just this year on the whole on you being able to be that chameleon of a coach and adapt to your offense? Yeah. I mean, I think that this year was, one of the most fun and challenging coaching jobs of my life because um, it it does go a little bit against well not against but it does it's different from from what I've always tried to coach before you know and when you start to look at it it's like okay well we've had success doing this or we've had success doing that like last year I thought we were super talented um, and you look at it and I think we hit 63 bombs last year as a team um, and, and we went 27 and 25, just missed it at large to a regional. Um, and then that year before, like you said, we put up those good offensive numbers in a shortened COVID year. Um, you know, I just think you start to look at it and it's like, okay, well, we had, we had a ton of juice last year um, and we've always wanted to be super athletic. Our offensive philosophy and my offensive philosophy has always been like, we want to hit a hundred doubles and steal a hundred bases. And I always felt like, well, we probably won't hit a hundred doubles because I want to hit more home runs. Um, and this year we just, we brought in a little bit more athleticism and I, we started to look at it as a staff and listen, I still want to hit bombs. And I think we're, we have, we have a team that, what did you say we hit this year? 35. 35 and 57, 35. And I bet you we probably should have had 45, which is respectable, still below company standard. Mm -hmm. But, um, (laughs) but, but you look at like, you start to look at it and it's like, okay, well, what do we want to do? We want to score more runs, right? Well, how do you score more runs? You get on base and you make stuff happen. Now that doesn't, I'm also not interested in giving away outs. Um, But Mm -hmm. we had, you know, we brought in a, we brought in a junior college center fielder that runs a legit six, three Johnny who, you know, stole 47 bags, runs a legit six, five. We had speed all over the field. 
And I also look at the weather that we play in. And, you know, we, where I say we should have hit 45 bombs this year, we might even hit more than that. But like, we're playing in cold temps, we're playing with the wind blowing in um, at times. And that's not woe is us, but it was a weird wind year at the Doyle. Um, balls weren't traveling as much and to sit there and say all right well the wind just isn't in our favor you know I wasn't willing to die on that hill so um, you know we 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 put an emphasis on doing doing things a little bit differently this year Um, I still think oddly enough we trained guys the same way from a swing from a swing standpoint because we still want to drive the ball I mean talk about um, you talk about 35 home runs but then how many doubles did we hit 122 you actually had I was going to cut in and say you had more extra base hits this year than last year right weird right so it's like we still taught the swing the same way and um you know our philosophy on the swing was still the same I just think we put a little bit more emphasis on the special teams of baseball running the bases um you know I think we stole we stole bags at an 85 percent clip um you know and we had a bunch of games where it's like I mean even in the postseason we won a game where we had three hits and, but, you know, we scored, I think we had three runs and didn't have any hits. We were willing to take our walks. We set the school record for walks this year as well. Um, and hit by pitches, you know, we talked right from the, right from day one, like, what do we want to do? We want to get on base and we want to score more runs. That was our motto all year. SMR score more runs. I didn't really cast said, you know, I'm going to take a step back cause I don't care how we do it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I want to leave the yard with the rest of us. Like, you know, I think they tried to put a damper on home run celebrations and we came up with a pretty good one that that's probably the best one we've ever had. And I'm excited to have that for, for a long, long time coming. Um, You know, but we, we just looked at it and we're like, look at the flip side of it. What are, what are pitchers trying to do? And then what are teams going to do to defend us? And it's like, well, guys only get so much time in practice and we're fortunate that we have a large coaching staff and not everybody we play does. So it's like I know that teams don't put an emphasis on holding runners, and I know that pitchers are focused more on executing their pitches than they are holding runners. So let's take it. Let's take advantage of that, um, and that led to a lot more success. And I think that that led to more doubles because that put pressure on pitchers to to be a little bit more uncomfortable and try to try to make uh, make themselves quicker to the plate, which elevated pitches and let us drive the ball more. Um, you know, and I just, I think, uh, you know, I think that was kind of the way that our team was designed. So you got a coach to now, you know, it's college baseball is unique too, because you get to, you get to have a say in the ingredients. So when you say, well, you got to coach to the team that you have, like, that's more of a, that's probably more of a high school thing. Cause you do have, you do have a little bit more say in the ingredients, but you know, I felt like, uh, I felt like we wanted to, we wanted to score more runs. We wanted to win more games. I felt like a good way to do that. We were leaving a lot of meat on the meat on the bone, you know, when we were a little bit less, uh, less fleet of foot last year, but had a lot more thump, you know, and like I, the, the thing that, the thing that I'm probably most proud of, um, is cause I'm not like, you look at me, I'm not a stolen base guy. I mean, we got guys on our team that stole more that stole more bags this year than I ever have in my life as a player. Um, but we we cut down our punchies by eight, eight like 80, 80 less strikeouts. And I think we only had I might be wrong, but I think we only had like six games with double digit K's this year. 
something close to that. I mean, and for an offense, you know, that like I used to say, like, yeah, strikeouts don't matter. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just an out. And I think that there is still merit to that. Cause I don't think you, in certain situations you want to club down. Um, but I think we did a better job this year of just getting a pitch early in counts to hit and put it in play and put pressure on the defense. And then we were able to do some different things. So going forward, I, you know, I, I think we'll be similar to this year's offense. I just think that athleticism wins, um, especially at the division two level. Um, and you, you know, you saw when you were at Arcadia, you know, pressure burst pipes. So if you can put more mm-hmm. pressure and sometimes pressure looks like the guy hitting in your middle of the order with 20 pumps. And sometimes pressure looks like I can't let this leadoff guy on. Cause he's going to, he's got 40 stolen bases, you know, he's, or, yeah. or the seven hitter that we had this year was one to one strikeout the walk. And he was 26, 26 stolen bases. Like there's never really, the nice thing is there's never really a time you feel like you're out of an inning on either side of it. You know, because like that 2021 team, how many times did we come up two outs, hit by pitch, two run bomb? You know, and yeah. a, lo- a lot of times this year we we have nobody on two outs and and then go single walk, oh, double steal, wild pitch, bleeder, two runs. Yeah. I just always think, you know, I think the for the the five or so years I was there, it was always, and this isn't really a question, but just kind of being able to be dynamic, right? Like you talk about how both sides of it put pressure on the opposing, you know, on the pitching staff. Is if you can run a lot, there's a lot of pressure there, especially once a guy gets on first, because then all of a sudden, you know, you feel like that's a rally because in two pitches he could be on third, and when a guy walks to the plate with twenty pumps, that, that's pressure too, because obviously you make one mistake and the game can be flipped on its head and. I know that, you know, the emphasis when I was there was just always trying to be dynamic, right? And trying to be able to have both things, being able to have an offense that can run at, at will and also have an offense that can leave the yard. And uh, it, it was impressive to watch this year from afar. Obviously, I didn't get the up-close view that I like to have. It probably also helped uh, that you didn't have a pitching coach sitting there telling you that he wanted to see a bunch of home runs. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I guess for me, it's like when you, when you talk about getting the buy-in so important too. And I think that just kind of ties this whole conversation together, right? You build the relationships with the guys where you, you know, they trust in you, you trust in them to then be able to have that team right there and say, okay, you know, we're going to put an emphasis. We're going to let you guys run wild a little bit more on the base pass. And, you know, we're going to cut down on, stri- you know, strikeouts. It's, it, it kind of all goes hand in hand, right? If those guys didn't buy in and those guys didn't trust you and that culture wasn't there, wouldn't you think then it would be hard to kind of be able to change your philosophy from year to year? It would kind of just be, you know, nine individuals walking to the plate, not working as a lineup. And to me, that's some of the parts that people don't see in baseball is the best teams. Like there is, you know, those lineups are dynamic and everyone in that lineup understands that, you know, you don't have, a leadoff guy who's stealing 40 bases going up there and try and change the game with three run home run. You leave that to the guy who does have, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 bombs, right? Yeah. And I think you want one through nine in your perfect lineup. You want nine guys that can hurt you. And that looks completely, right. you know, that's probably going to look completely different. And I wasn't, you know, we weren't going to, we weren't going to sit around and wait for the three run bomb this year, like we did last year, but I also wasn't going to expect a couple guys to get on last year and be able to steal bases, you know, left and right. Cause I just don't think that that was the team that we had. Um, and I think that it comes back to being comfortable in your own skin and, um, you know, having trust in your guys 
you know, through those conversations and those relationships, like you talked about and being able to be, be dynamic and get the most out of your players, you know, for each one, what they are. I mean, you know, I think, uh, you know, if you would have asked that year that we went to, uh, that we went to the first regional, if you wanted the pitching staff to go rack up 10 punches a game, I don't, that wasn't going to happen. We were going to get hit around, you know, like we just didn't have the stuff for that. So like you had to cater to that, to that team. And I think that's the art in coaching. And I think that is the beauty in college baseball where it is so different. And it does, that's the exciting part about it too, is like each team is its own footprint. Like they are so different year to year, even if you have the bulk, like we lost three guys this year, that team next year is going to be completely different. And I don't even know that. I just know that because that's how it works. Guys get older, guys have more life experience. You got new guys coming into the fold. Um, You know, coaching staff is, is a year older. They've seen things a little bit differently. So I do think it matters. And the exciting thing is it's like, now we've, from an offensive perspective, Trevor, we've done it two different ways now, right? Uh-huh. You know, we've been we've been there two different ways. So it's you know, I think it's easy it's easier to find the middle ground. Now we've done it two different ways, where it's like, okay, well, we haven't stole that, we didn't steal that many bases, but we hit a bunch of pumps that year, and we we slugged really well, you know. And this year we we did a, we were a little bit more dynamic. Wait until we're having this conversation a year from today and you have 60, 60 pumps and 150 stolen bases and, and we'll be questioning uh, which teams in the East region want to see you guys in a regional. Yeah, um, I hope so. uh, I hope the winds, wind is in our favor next year. I like that. Yeah, add to, add to the bomb book. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. No, you're not lying. I I used to check. I used to have a wind finder app on my phone, and I used to check the wind every day because we played in a graveyard. So anytime the wind was blowing in, which it always was, it was just like, man, we're gonna be laying down a sacrifice in the top of the first, in the bottom of the first. Aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I'm calling Peyton. I'm like, which way does it blow out again? I'm like sending the screen <laughs> screenshots because he lives in Hocus. I'm like, you get it. Which way does it blow uh-huh. out? <laughs> yep. Yep. Anything, anything for a little extra juice for the boys. Yeah. Um, but Dan, any last questions for, for Matt here before we let him go? No, man, it was a blast, but this, this, I hope this isn't a, a one and done appearance for you on the pod. Love to have you back sometime. Appreciate you uh, taking your night to uh, sit down with us. Yeah, man. Of course. I know we let you down. Me and Trevor didn't talk hitting enough tonight. We, it was broad. Right. It was broad focus. We'll have to, we'll have to save it for another night, but I appreciate you guys having me on. Always good of to, course. always well, good you're... to talk to you too. Always good to talk, uh, you know, something really passionate about baseball and bolt baseball in general. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you're always welcome here. We'll, we'll come up with Dan and I'll sit down one of these days and come up with some stuff that we want to talk about nitty gritty wise. Um, and we'll get in here because if I came prepared with some nitty gritty that I wanted to, to go into, we would have got there. Trust me. Um, but so Dan and I'll have to, to sit back and figure out where we want to go with that direction. But again, as Dan said, you're always welcome on here. We'll get you back on, uh, through the summer a couple of times before you guys get kicked off in the fall. And, and obviously maybe we'll get a full staff on here and just get all, all bolts on, on one of these nights, get skipped. Tommy will get paid to sit there um, and just not say anything. It'll be a great night. You can get me. Hey, I'm still, 
I'm two hours door to door from Diamond Nation. So if you time it up one night on the on the way home, yeah, you can you can get me all loopy when I'm running the gauntlet, the eight a, the eight a.m. to the eight p.m. game. Get me get me on the way home. I just got to get out of Flemington so I have service. Yep, yep. There's nothing better, nothing better than, than summer nights at at ten fifteen with the rain delay kicking in because they don't want to play the game. They don't want to shorten the games tomorrow, so they're they're getting them in. Don't, don't worry, they're playing at two in the morning. Don't you miss it? Uh, food, food voucher, snack shack closed at eight. Get your, yeah. get yourself some lemon water ice and hunker down, boys. Uh, <laughs> settle yeah. in. Garden State games coming up. Uh, those good. were at least a good one. Those were fun. That was like yeah. that was like yeah. the coaches' convention of the summer. Yeah. Like everybody in the in the Northeast region came back and debriefed their season. Is the is the Garden State games? Those are those are at least a good night. Yeah, that'll be good. But and they feed you. Yeah, they they, they at least give you the penne a la vodka for those <laughs> nights. In the Valley. I'm, t- I'm taking I'm taking Kev this year. I told him clear your calendar on June 14th. It's a rite of passage. It is. is. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. I appreciate everything you guys are doing to grow the game. Sick to to get a front row seat to uh, see some of the people you guys are bringing in and and some of the people you get to talk to on a on a nightly basis. Yeah, well, we we appreciate all them, but nothing compares to Matt Treat. Ah, Easy. (laughs) Don't 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 say that when you let off with episode eighty one. (laughs) <laughs> wasn't that important 80 episodes ago alright I don't want to hear it <laughs> I was really well behaved but I've that band laugh enough uh, that's great that's great well thank you to all our listeners out there for tuning into this episode I'm sure you enjoyed it as much as we did um, ton of content and trade obviously provided a ton of stuff about bolt baseball so uh, we always love to to plug the bolts and give them an opportunity to talk highly of their program make sure you're subs- subscribing to the podcast on all platforms including Apple Spotify and anywhere you find your pods we post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends. But until next time, we'll see you guys on the next episode. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. Routine Baseball offers the best athletic leisure options going. We're talking shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could ask for. Perfect for all your events and activities this summer. You headed to a game, throw on a nice routine tee and a hat. How about a cookout? Throw on some routine shorts and sunglasses. You'll be super comfortable, no sweat, perfect fit. I just got fitted in my routine stuff, and it's all I want to wear, and it's all I will be wearing this summer, and you can too. All you have to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have, and you can receive 10% off your offer today. Again, all you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10% off your order today. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever 
game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats and an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. 